Radio Show brought to you by People G2, a company dedicated to helping all businesses with their people-related decisions. They do that by giving clients access to the best human capital, due diligence, and background checks available on prospective candidates, business partners, tenants, and more. To learn more, simply visit www.peopleg2.com. Today, we're privileged to have with us the founder and president of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, Chris. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining me. Again, my name is Chris Tyre, and I'll be your host here for the next hour on the Talent Talk Radio Show. We have a great lineup of guests here all year long, and specifically today, two great ones for you to to listen and learn from, and we'll get to them in just a minute after we kind of get through some of the regular business. Uh, and just in case this is the first time that you are tuning into the show, the Talent Talk Radio Show features a wide range of guests who care about talent management, leadership development, and company culture. So in the business world, talent really has a couple different meanings that we try to focus in on. And the first relates to success, how really talented people achieve success. And the second is how talent relates to human resources and how HR leaders find the best candidates for their companies. So this show looks to explore those two areas along with how these talented individuals can impact company culture. One of my uh, kind of favorite things to think about and talk about. The guests on the show typically include CEOs, HR executives, entrepreneurs, uh, coaches, authors, just kind of run the gamut of people in the business world and leaders who come from just about any industry you can think of. And usually what happens is we get interact somehow through some sort of networking event, a conference, maybe LinkedIn, and I had the privilege of meeting them and uh, finding out what kind of an inspiring person they are. And I created this forum to allow you to listen in on our dialogue and Hopefully learn some practical advice that will help you cultivate your talent, develop leaders, manage culture, and the most important thing is impact your own career in a positive way. So hopefully something today that we talk about, something that said you can is a takeaway for you, you can go back and make your, your job better, your company better, and your career better. Uh, I want to thank those of you who are tuning in live right now. If you have a question for one of my guests, you can submit them uh, via Twitter. You can just tweet them to at peopleg2, use that hashtag talent talk, and my producer Mike can feed me the best questions and try to work them in the show as best we can. We also love to get your suggestions on future guests, future questions, things and topics we ought to be thinking about. Um, all those ideas, we'd love to have you send to us that way at peopleg2 and use that hashtag talent talk. Also, don't forget, uh, you can tune in uh, via the Talent Talk uh, podcast uh, on iTunes. You can also open it up at iHeart. We're now syndicated with iHeartRadio. So either app that you can access and look up the uh, show, subscribe to the feed, have all those uh, shows sent to you there every week. You can join the uh, – now, we only have the iTunes numbers right now because we don't even, ha- don't even have reporting yet from iHeart. It's still fairly new, but – Via iTunes, we have over 195,000 of you downloading the podcast here every week. We really appreciate your support and you tuning in to uh, learn along with me. So now that we've got all that kind of out of the way, let's uh, go ahead and uh, let you know who's on the show today. Uh, My first guest will be uh, Srikant Chalapa. Hopefully I'm saying that correctly. We'll find out in a second. And he is companies with Engagedly. And we also have Elad Levinson, the Senior Organizational Effective Consultant at 4128 Associates. So Elad will join me at the second half of the show, but let's go ahead and get to our first guest and find out if I actually said the name correctly. Uh, Shrikant, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, that was actually perfect. Oh, it's perfect. Well, that's the first time. I'll, g- give me give me about 30 minutes and I'll screw something up in my pronunciations. But. Okay. <laughs> 
So tell us a little bit about yourself and, of course, your company and what you're doing. Oh, definitely. So I'm a co-founder of uh, HR talent management platform company called Engagedly. We are a cloud platform focusing on talent management and employee engagement. So everything to do with performance management, rewards and recognition, uh, collaboration, communication, and really building high-performance teams. So we are basically a single uh, single uh, tenant hosted multi-tenancy uh, product on the, on the cloud. So um, I have been with consulting and other types of uh, services industries for over 20 years. Um, you know, I was a consultant for uh, Ernst & Young and then Capgemini for about nine or ten years, and then I did a startup uh, in healthcare called Emits, which uh, I, uh, I, I, I'm not really technically part of them anymore, but I left them in December, but I still uh, consult with them from time to time. Um, and then we started this uh, uh, platform company to really help improve the uh, employee workplace, and that's really what I've been focusing on lately. So you mentioned kind of being involved, I think, with EMIDS, the healthcare data solutions company, and really what you're doing now versus that are kind of really different things, um, really working now primarily with the employee engagement platform. So how did you find yourself invested in sort of two different types of companies and having to make a choice on you know which direction you were going to be heading you know, going forward? Yeah, so... Engagedly is fairly new. We are less than two years old. Uh, so I joined Engagedly really as an angel investor to begin with, and I got in with them more and more as I realized that's something I really wanted to uh, spend a lot of time with. My previous experience has been in managing large teams with implementation of software, um, implementation of different services and processes for a lot of, lot of organizations, many of them in the Fortune 500. So... One of the things I realized is, as as, a, as an organization, we don't do a really a great job, um, you know, not just my organization in the past, but also in general, of engaging employees, and that really creates uh, high levels of attrition, employee disengagement, which can, you know, um, re- reduce productivity and cause other other types of challenges. So when Engagedly came along, I was really enthused with the approach of having an open, transparent um, structure which will allow employees to really collaborate with each other uh, and then have this frequent feedback mechanism which is one of the things that's sorely missing in many organizations where it's really up to the manager to to engage the employee and there's really no systemic or process-centric way to improve employee engagement. So we use some of the best practices that have been put forth by the Gallup organization on employee engagement to build this platform out and you've seen really good results from doing that. Yeah, it sounds really, uh, really promising, especially if you're kind of already bringing in some tried and true, kind of proven things with with Gallup. Um, we, we love a lot of the stuff that they do, so that it, it sounds very engaging. Uh, you know, kind of being a serial entrepreneur, be able to categorize you that way. You obviously have what it takes, you know, to create a vision and then kind of run with it. So, can you talk about some of the challenges that you've had along the way with? with different ventures and in trying to be successful once you've established that vision and, and decided you're going to put your time and energy forward? Yeah, I think the biggest challenge is, uh, and this has happened in pretty much every single venture I have been part of, is having a plan and then throwing the plan away once you start moving forward. Because once you start moving forward, you realize that what you, the assumptions you made about the market, about the situation and your 
theme and the adoption you might have for your product or your service um, are really not necessarily true once you start you know, getting yourself into the market and launching your product or your service. So the key is to just keep moving forward, adapt yourself according to the market conditions, um, and then learn from your competitors and your other collaborators alike to see what's working, what's not working, how can you do some things better than they do, and keep moving forward. So, And success is not a straight line, obviously, right? So you, you go through bumps and valleys, and mm-hmm. um, sometimes you take two steps back back for every step you take forward. But as long as you keep, you know, you keep moving forward and, and you listen to the market and listen to everything around you, I think you will uh, eventually succeed. So I think that's the key um, as part of uh, moving forward. Now, I've, I've also had you know, a couple of smaller businesses fail in the past. Um, so I think the key is to really realize sometimes that what your assumptions, like I said, you make up front are not true. And then is, if there's not anything you can do from your product or service to pivot um, to make that better, then it's probably better to just give up um, your idea or your product or service and just move on to something that will eventually succeed or you have a little bit more passion for. Yeah. Well, and, and amongst all those other things that you're doing, uh, I also noticed kind of in your bio that you spent some time being a producer and director for Kalinga Productions. So, you know, what's that all about? Is that a hobby or, you know, how do you find time to dedicate, you know, energy to something else too? Yeah, so it's been a passion for me for the last, I don't know, 12, 13 years. So I have I take every two or three years, I take um, about a month to a month and a half off to make a, make a film. So I have been uh, wow. making films for the last 10, 12 years. I've yeah, produced about four feature films uh, that have gone all over the world. It's 20th Century Fox and Showtime and Redbox, you know, Blackbuster, Blackbuster back in the day, Netflix. Um, in fact, I just came off uh, directing a feature uh, last month, so I was actually off for the last four weeks. Uh, just came back last week uh, from that production. It's a movie called Grandmother's Murder Club. It's a dark comedy that uh, we, we just finished shooting. Wow, well, I look forward to hopefully being able to access that at some point. Sounds Absolutely. like you. It sounds like a good plan to me. Work for a year and a half, two years, then take a month off and you know, go do something else really exciting and kind of get your creative juices going and then come back to work, back to the real world. That that, that kind of sounds like a, a pretty good uh, formula for, for entrepreneurs that need sometimes just that little jolt of something different, but that's also like totally consuming, right? And then, and then be able to release right. it and go back instead of burning through what you're doing and just going on the next thing because it's the next thing. It sounds like you've maybe got a pretty good little formula there to be able to, um, you know, find that creative outlet and those different things that uh, are important to you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Yes, it has been very exciting to do that. Um, you know, I love making movies, as, but I also love running businesses and working with people and growing organizations. So it's it's not one or the other. It's, you know, for me, it's all of the above. Yeah, and if you're interested in learning more about his uh, kind of filmography, you can look, you know, there's a pretty popular site, IMDb, and... You can look him up there. Uh, got quite an extensive uh, list there of films that you've been involved in, whether producing or directing or acting. Uh, it's a pretty amazing story, uh, along with all the other things that you're doing just from a business side. Thank you. So, uh, you know, to kind of circle back here to where we started, though, uh, in, in looking at Engagedly, your website 
really talks about a mission for the company that is to improve employee engagement by making uh, the workplace fun and motivating. So how do you do this, and how, how does the average company looking to use a product like this really maximize those results? Yeah, so <clears throat> employee engagement it really doesn't cost a lot of money, and I think that's the misnomer people have because, you know, a lot of organizations tend to focus on, you know, titles and compensation increases, bonuses, to really motivate and improve employee engagement. And that's really not the best way. I'm not saying don't do that, but it's not the most effective way of doing uh, of improving employee engagement. What employees really need is um, a sense of belonging, a sense of being part of a common mission, a mission and a vision that they believe in, um, and, and frequent communication. So if there's one thing any employer can do to improve employee engagement, and that would be to just talk to the employee, ask them questions, just follow up on what they're doing, get, give them feedback, and get their feedback once a week. If you just do that for 15 to 20 minutes once a week, you will see dramatic improvement in employee engagement just from doing that one thing alone. So our platform really allows for real-time feedback, real-time peer praise, where you can praise each other. Um, and it has a concept of continuous performance management. So instead of doing performance management necessarily just once a year or once every six months, we believe in a reinforce, reinforcement of performance behaviors on a constant basis. So we have this whole concept of cascading objectives to performance management and peer praise and peer feedback, which you can do that on demand at any time on a daily basis or weekly basis. So that's really what uh, overall improves all of that. And the other thing we did is to really gamify the whole thing. So the more you participate in helping each other out, the more points you get, and there's a leaderboard. And then that really helps engage people to help each other, get give feedback, uh, and help uh, help out with new ideas and questions uh, that other, other employees might have. And then those points can be redeemed for different types of monetary and non-monetary rewards, which our platform supports as well. So we've got this whole concept of rewards and recognitions based on the employee engagement level of an employee in the organization. So there are a few other things, so fairly new concepts, you know, so we are, you might be a little bit ahead of the curve um, and pushing the envelope a little bit with some of our ideas, but um, it's really based on a lot of the best practices that we have seen out in the marketplace, and our platform allows employers to actually do that without really much effort or a big installation process. And where do you see employee engagement on, you know, the spectrum of having a, a really good company culture, whatever that is, because there's certainly different versions of what makes a great company culture based on where you are and what you do and uh, the types of people you have in your organization. But, you know, h- how much of a role, maybe with, whether it's a percentage or if it's uh, some other way to quantify, does that engagement component really play into having that great culture? Oh, it's it's huge. Um, I can't give you an actual number, obviously, because it's anybody's guess. But, you know, the culture is really made up of the people. Uh, in the organization. So the more people engage with each other, the more connected and cohesive culture that they'll have. And they feel vested in the overall team's success and each other's success and not just trying to get ahead or, you know, um, or just cover their back. So I think to that extent, employee engagement plays a huge role in, in the in the overall culture of the company. But, you know, there's the other... That, that's an, uh, 
the there are some really good tangible benefits uh, if you look at the survey results of Gallup and some of the other organizations that that they have done. Um, you know, the, employ- the organizations that have high levels of employee engagement have typically significant higher profitability, uh, higher retention rates, lower attrition of employees, um, and many other uh, factors that affect the corporate and organizational bottom line more than just about, you know, more than just the touchy-feely aspects of a culture. So there's benefits in all aspects. From, uh, well, and I really workforce. see that companies in general do a pretty bad job um, of, of engagement or they're fairly misguided. You kind of talked about it earlier. That doesn't really have to be something monetary. I mean, people like to just say, oh, we'll do this and we're going to give you a $25 gift card to Starbucks and then they expect, you know, that person to be happy for the rest of the year. Um, mm-hmm. and, you know, and that doesn't really work. Uh, there are some people that, it sounds like in your platform, they can kind of choose, you know, which direction they want to go with maybe those points or things like that. So, I'm going to guess that your answer is going to be yes to this question because you've you've decided to go into this market and you're kind of tackling this as a vertical. But do you really do you see? I do. Would you agree with me that most companies are either struggling or doing a fairly bad job at at actually engaging their employees in the right way? Absolutely. And yeah, statistics prove it beyond uh, any doubt that um, a large majority of the companies, you know, more than fifty percent are struggling in the employee engagement uh, right now in the U.S., um, for sure. So, yeah, Is there a subset a area that you see where they have the hardest time? Let's maybe talk about you know United States-based companies. Do, do you see a particular area that's common for them to, to, to be struggling at the most? Uh, you mean like a subsector, like an industry, or uh, no subsector within engagement, right? So, it might be communication. It might be how do you uh, incentivize it? How do you reward people? How do you give recognition? I mean, there could be there's a little you know sort of subsets here on how how you facilitate employee engagement. Do you see oh, okay. a particular area well, that's think, harder for companies? Yeah, I think a couple of areas that I see a big uh, big uh, problem areas in employee engagement. One is setting clear expectations for your employees. So if you're setting, uh, let's say you're a manager and you have certain expectations from your employees or from your direct reports, um, what managers don't do very well is setting really clear expectations from the uh, employee on what they're expected to achieve or accomplish. I think that's a big factor, you know, because employees get surprised and they don't get a good review or they don't get the expected raise or promotion or feedback. And then they're told they didn't do good, do a good job, and they don't know why because that wasn't really clearly communicated, and proper feedback was not given on a continuous manner. And you waited six months to give them feedback at a time of review. So I think that is, to me, the biggest factor that has uh, pretty much permeated uh, a lot of the organizations in the U.S., which, which can be fairly easily be fixed. Yeah, yeah it seems like something that it, it's not. Hard. It takes work, but it's not particularly hard to fix. I mean, we're not not asking you know twenty people in the organization to suddenly go get their doctorate in something to be able to solve a problem. We're we're asking people to communicate better, to to recognize their peers in, in more efficient ways, to act on those suggestions and critiques and you know praises uh, going forward. And yeah, you know, it, it's hard work, but it's not it's not you know unattainable work either. Get you know, kind of based on some of Gallup's things, we're, we're, we're pretty far behind. I mean, we're, we're pretty far off the the scale here for the average employees generally pretty unhappy, uh, you know, with the work they're doing. Hello? 
Can you hear me? Oh, sorry. I think I got disconnected. Yeah, for some reason I got disconnected. Sorry right. about that. No problem. So, you know, I'm wondering, um, you know, from a personal development standpoint, has there been somebody in your life that maybe has had a pretty big impact on you? And maybe you can kind of explain why that, that is and, you know, to, to how you kind of became the person that you are today. I, I can't necessarily say one person helped me become who I was today, which I'm not even sure I'm I'm there where I don't need to be today. Um, <laughs> but that being said, uh, there was one practice that one of my one of my managers early in my career at Ernst & Young did, which I felt really uh, uh, was effective and also helped build the employee culture or the project culture at that point. I was working on a project, and this manager would have a meeting with all the key leads in the team every morning at a very, you know, at a, at a time, like let's say 8 o'clock, uh, a specific time, and you couldn't be late for that meeting, and the meeting only lasted like 10, 15 minutes. And we would just go around the room asking how things were going and what we needed to do make make our days, our project better or what activities we needed to accomplish or what our goals were and if there were any problems in accomplishing those goals that he could help with. So that simple exercise of doing it at that every morning at 15 minutes really helped, you know, gel our team together and helped our project move along much faster, improve communication and a lot of other things. You know, and that's been used quite effectively these days now in the Scrum model for software development, obviously. But I think that that model could be used for any organization in any type of industry. Well, one of the first times I was ever exposed to that type of a meeting, uh, when my very first job was working for a hotel, and Mm -hmm. they called them standing meetings. And all all the heads of the departments get together with the, the GM and sometimes the assistant GM and is exactly that. What's going on? What do we have going? What are the problems? How do we solve it? And it was a great way to get everyone on the same, you know, same track. I, this was the hotel was in Hollywood, so you know what star might be coming in. What logistical issues do we have? Um, so housekeeping new, security new, engineering new, front desk. New. It was a great way to just really quickly deal with all that stuff. And it was like a 10, 15 minute mm-hmm. meeting, like you said, and it was great. Now, we, my company being virtual, we've had to kind of modify that and come up with different ways to accomplish that because we're not going to be all standing together but we can be on a, a conference call together and do something similar but um right. you know it, it, it's a great it's such a simple thing and it really helps those people who are doing the work and maybe the, the, you said the leads on those different projects but it's probably one of the most effective ways that a leader can ensure that people are on board doing it the right way that they're on focused on track and that there's that communication and guidance and, and leadership that's happening there instead of leading kind of from behind right like what now there's a problem and now you're the leader coming in trying to fix the problem if you're you're connecting every day like that that's fantastic you you know exactly what's going on and you can really guide the organization or guide that that group or that you know whatever that may be a little bit at a time instead of trying to you know Throughout the throughout the bathwater to save the baby kind of a thing, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, and you know when things are going south very quickly and very early in the process, and not get a surprise, you know, weeks down the road. Yeah, yeah, and also kind of helps you figure out who who on your team is really strong in particular areas, and who isn't. You know, maybe who needs to stay, who needs to go, or who needs support or additional training in a you know an area. 
it's it's hard to figure that stuff out if you're not you know intimately working with people at least for a few minutes every day. Right. Because we all know there's some great people out there who can fake it for a really long time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. Exactly. So uh, before we go, I want to make sure I ask you one of our favorite questions. Uh, is there something that you're reading right now that you might be able to share with our audience that they might you know want to take a look at and read for themselves? You know, I was thinking about that. There's nothing particular that I'm reading right now from a, from a business-related book. I'm just reading a book that was given to me by one of my actresses, uh, her memoir. So right, right now, that's pretty much what I'm focused on. On my, on my uh, from a last film, and and what's the uh, the the book called? Oh, it's called Foxy: My Life in Three Acts by Pam Greer. She was in my last film, and she gave me the book, and so I'm focused on reading that book right now. Well, maybe something people want to check out. We have a lot of people that do enjoy biographies and uh, those different types of books, and trying to you know learn from people based on their kind of an overview of their experiences and their life and things like that. So it's a pretty common trend on this show. We've, we have people who like the business books, people who like biographies, people that like history-based um, books. We, we've pretty, have we had the gamut. So, <laughs> Well, if people are yeah. interested in learning more about your company, um, we've already told them how to find out more about you uh, in, the, in the entertainment sector, but how can they find out more about your company uh, if they're interested in, in, in finding out more? Um, well, they can go to engagedly.com, F-E-N-G-A-G-E-D-L-Y, engagedly, like engaged, um, and they can subscribe to our newsletter or ask for a demo. We are more than happy to give a, a demo to any organization that's interested. Um, so they can get more information from there, or they can follow us on Twitter at Engagedly, Inc. So those are two primary mechanisms to learn more about us. Well, fantastic. I really appreciate you being on the show, and uh, I have a son who's really in, uh, interested in film, so I'll uh, tell him to check you out, and uh, maybe he can uh, come and hold a camera bag for you someday. So, Absolutely. Love yeah. to. All right. Well, up next we have Eli Levinson after this quick commercial break. Welcome back to the Talent Talk radio show. As a reminder, if you have a guest here for my second uh, question for my second guest, you can send it to us via Twitter at PeopleG2. Use the hashtag Talent Talk. Uh, don't forget, you can check us out on many different areas. You can go to TalentTalkRadio.com. You can open up the iHeartRadio app or also on iTunes uh, on your iPhone or iPad. You can pop open that podcast app and type in Talent Talk and find us. Uh, listen to all the past shows. Subscribe to have the show uh, kind of popped into your phone there every week. And we really appreciate uh, your support, feedback, and learning along with us. So my next guest is uh, Elad Levinson, a Senior Organizational Effectiveness Consultant at 4128. I don't know if you say it up, spell it or uh, numbers each out like that, or if it's 4128 Associates, I'm sure he'll tell us. But Elad, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Chris. So is it 4128 or do you say 4128? 4128. 41. See, see, Paul, I knew I'd mess something up. I had to mess at least the pronunciation of something, and I, I found the, the numbers there. So, And I'm not sure, Eli, you're a little bit uh, faint there, so make sure you're a little bit louder or put that phone a little closer to your mouth. But if you can, tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, the work that you're doing there as a coach and consultant. Sure. Thank you very much. Well, I've been a consultant in what sometimes is called organizational development. Well, what does that mean? Organizations, teams, departments, individuals, all are facing change. 
that's the primary issue that everybody is dealing with. And sometimes people refer to it as I have a lot of stress or organization is dealing with a lot of stress. But in the long run, what it comes down to is how do we adapt to the business environment, the not-for-profit environment, the family environment, doesn't really matter. Mostly, the important thing to remember is that the, <clears throat> the medium is change. So what I do is I work with individuals, companies, to help them understand, first of all, what the current situation is with regard to the changes that are affecting them. Then secondly, help them articulate what their desired outcome is. What, what would they like to see different? How do they want things to be in the future? You know, sometimes it's a visioning uh, process. Sometimes it's a, a, a matter of helping people actually articulate uh, that they would like things to be, they would like things to be better because in the current situation, things are so stressful that they don't even realize that they're dealing with a lot of uh, change. And then the third part of what I do is to help people develop a roadmap. And the roadmap is a um, really a step-by-step -step process of how you get from where you are right now to where you want to be. Mm -hmm. So an example, I'm working with a not-for-profit. Their goal is that they have a very, very successful not-for-profit, and they would like to take the success that they've had right now, and they'd like to build a donor support sponsor base um, that would allow them to be able to move to a different level of professionalism uh, with regard to their staffing. And so what I've been doing is to help them, first of all, analyze what the current situation is with regard to their staff, the skills that are needed to be able to get to the next level, and then <clears throat> begin to develop a kind of step-by-step -step journey of how do you get from where you are right now to where you want to be. Well, and that's fairly complicated, involved process, uh, and I'm sure there's a, you know, quite a bit of tools that you've been able to, to kind of develop and, and to be able to help people do that. And one of the things I kind of was really interested in, maybe you can talk a little bit about this area of applied neuroscience and behavioral sciences that you're kind of using in regards to, to coaching and consulting. Sure. Well, I, I appreciate your asking that question. I was just talking about this with a colleague this morning, and one of the ways that I would introduce this is by saying that, you know, everything in the world goes through some sort of an evolutionary process. Evolution is very slow um, in some ways, um, but when you look at the rate of change uh, that human beings have had to uh, respond to, just take an example of 1980s, we were beginning to use computers today. We have computing power in our hands that's equal to or better than anything that, you know, was on the market even three years ago. So how do, how do people respond to that kind of rate uh, and complexity of change? Well, there are three ways that you can respond. One of them is mm, kind of from the perspective of what sometimes is called the reptilian brain. That's the, the brain that's at the base of the, sp um, the neck. Mm -hmm. and. When we respond from that, what we're responding is fight, flight, or freeze. You know, either we're against it or we're for it or we don't know what to do. And usually when we're responding from that perspective, it's reactive rather than responsive. The second way that we can react 
um, is in you know kind of traditional ways that we already know that have some degree of comfort and effectiveness. The third is to begin to use this brand new part of our brain that's called the neocortex that allows us to be able to uh, really see opportunities that haven't existed so far, but that we kind of create from being able to see pattern recognition, different themes. So here's an example. Um, when people want to figure out a thorny problem, often the context that they're trying to figure that out in is ang with a lot of anxiety, a lot of urgency, a lot of sense of like, we have to get this done right now. And that kind of thinking is exactly what keeps us from being able to come up with any sort of novel, innovative, or creative solution. What's really required is to be able to step back as an objective observer and to let the mind kind of settle down. So you were talking about applied neuroscience. One aspect of applied neuroscience is the whole field that's called mindfulness. And within the field of mindfulness, there are many tools. A very good example of a tool that Daniel Goleman, in his work on emotional intelligence, has really brought forward is called self-awareness. Mm -hmm. So an example of self-awareness is very, very, can be very concrete. Like, I notice right now that this may not be the best time for me to be thinking of a great solution because I'm really sleep-deprived. Or, you know, maybe it would be something like be becoming aware that the conversation that you're having with somebody is triggering you and it's causing you to be irritated and frustrated, which may not be the best environment um, for the two of you to come up with some sort of a plan. So with regard to applied neuroscience, um, this field of mindfulness is so rich. You could, you could really think of it as a, a deep, deep vein of gold that organizations have just begun to tap. Right. Well, I think you kind of hit on one really important thing that companies don't tend to think about, that their staff really needs to feel comfortable, they need to feel at some level safe in their work, and to be able to get sort of the best things out of them, to get them to do these things that they wouldn't normally do. And one of the examples I usually kind of will give to this is I, I see this a lot with teachers. So my wife's a teacher. And a lot of teachers have tenure, and not starting a political conversation here, but I see them do work that no one else would ever do, and, and, and do things and work so hard for those kids. And a part of that is they have the, their job part is taken care of. They don't have to worry that they don't have a job next year. And so they put every bit of effort and, and, and work these incredible amount of hours and bring all this work home with them and, and do things for these kids that, you know, you wouldn't see in a normal job uh, for someone, let's say, working at a manufacturing plant. You, you just wouldn't see that same thing. And I, I always equate part of that to there are certain things that are taken care of for them that they're not worrying about that the rest of us maybe are worrying about in a different situation. Does, that, does, any of that, does, that, does that example make sense in all of kind of what you're saying? Well, and I, I, let me elaborate on it. Yes, I would say absolutely. Um, and I think about when you were talking about one of the most famous kind of principles in leadership, which is Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Mm -hmm. uh, Abraham Maslow established that there are basic fundamental needs that if they're not met, that we tend to 
function in a way that is instinctual or, as I was talking about earlier, kind of from that reptile brain of fight, flight, or freeze. And so one of the most um, primal examples that Maslow gives is the importance of safety. And uh, I think that environments that are highly competitive where there's little or no safety and that actually kind of fierce competitiveness is the norm tends to attract people who have learned they've adapted they've coped with the ability to function in an environment where they don't feel safe but most of us and i put myself in the same in this boat most of us need to have some level of safety before we're really able to begin to kind of socially uh, respond in ways that are collaborative and that are cooperative. Otherwise, what tends to happen is if we don't feel safe, um, we tend to kind of pull up the, 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 the drawbridge, you know, and, and, and get out our spears or our arrows. So, yes, I agree with you. Um, I, I would go one step further, if it's okay to, for me to elaborate just for a moment. Please. Um, you know, I, I, I think that we're at a departure point in, uh, where I, what I see is a, a, a real divide between two different kinds of companies, and one way of framing it is kind of the new business model versus the old business model. And in the old business model, the view of human beings is that they're expendable, they're commodities, we can, you know, basically we can replace them with drones, robots, uh, computers, whatever. Um, and in that old business model, uh, there's a way of kind of treating human beings that does not respect the need of human beings to contribute and to learn. The new business model, which is embraced by, you know, a small cadre of companies which is growing pretty pretty rapidly, um, treats human beings as capable uh, and, and who are able to keep on building on capacity and on skill. And, you know, you could actually say that human beings are far more capable of developing themselves and being extraordinary contributors to their work, to their teams, to their functions, um, and that mostly the environments that they're in don't support that. The system, there's an old saying that a bad system will always trump a good employee. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've, we've seen that over and over again. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, and you can see employees really do really well under some pretty adverse situations, and sometimes that's because of they really believe in the, the product or service, or maybe it's the people around them. But um, yeah, I think in the end, you're right that 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 bad process, a bad sort of company, can will end up kind of winning out on that, unfortunately. Well, if you had, I mean, I'm going to just keep on building on what you're saying because I think that we're really, you know, we're we're very much in alignment. Um, I think there are three factors that, if you put them all together, you're going to have a company that has a, a, an extraordinary chance of thriving. Okay. One is that there's a level of safety um, because this is a company that's looking to the long run rather than the next quarter. Okay, so that could be privately held companies, but there are also publicly held companies that take a longer view than quarter by quarter. Um, The second, so safety is number one. The second is that as a company, you're dedicated to development. It It isn't the kind of situation where you say, oh, yeah, once a year, we'd like you to take uh, one class in, you know, uh, Excel spreadsheets, or 
we really would like you to take this one technical class. We'll pay for 300 You pay for the $700. i am not talking about that. I'm talking about a company that understands adult learning um, well enough that they integrate the principles of learning into how the organization responds to change and stress. So that's, that's number two. And then the third, which I, I think is really the cutting edge of organizational development, is bringing in the best practices, the, 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 the most advanced work in the applied neurosciences. And there are three areas in applied neuroscience that are very impactful levers. One we've talked a little bit about, which is mindful awareness and mindful leadership, which is a growing field. The second is how to regulate your attention. Um, human beings were not designed to be attentive 24 hours a day or 18 hours a day. We're designed, just like animals, to have an off and on period. And so the cultural kind of conditioning, at least in Western organizations, is always on. And that model has a tremendous deleterious negative effect on the human brain and on human performance. Mm -hmm. Learning how to regulate attention and focus, and then also learning how to relax instantly. And then the third area is in cultivating goodwill. And, you know, organizations are filled with conflict. People have differences of opinion. They have strong feelings about them. That's normal. And you, as an organization, you have to learn to create an environment in which conflict is regulated in such a way that it's productive rather than destructive. Yeah, and that can be a challenge. And I, I, I think one of those areas that you started to hit on was the us having to be kind of on all the time, right? Our attention spans kind of whether it's we've been marketed this way, we've, technology has sort of hijacked us a little bit. There's there's a lot of areas where that has really become a problem. And I was reading a book recently, uh, Die Empty, and one of the things I kind of took from that was talking about having these kind of really specific times to sit and think, to ponder, to to just let your mind you know go deeper with things. And I went, well, duh, of course you're supposed to do that. And then I went back and thought of my own life and found myself, you know, when I should have been doing that, I had my, my iPhone up and reading some article or, you know, doing something just so my attention was sort of being massaged a little bit instead of doing something else being more productive. And that may be something as organizations we have to start helping our employees do and to start thinking about doing is w- when do you stop to think about how to solve the problem? And, and, and as a way to grow as an organization. Yeah, yeah. So that's an excellent point. I've been in organizations where the CEO said, I take 10% of my time every week to think, and I expect every single person in this organization to do the same. And if I don't see you taking that time or if I don't hear that, that you're doing that, then somebody is going to talk to you about the need for you to sit back, let go, and let your mind begin to explore uh, what it is that you're dealing with. So that's that's an example, I think, of it implemented. Um, I, I, another um, that comes to my mind is the kind of resurgence, or at least the beginning uh, of a movement in organizations, both here and in Europe, um, of the company 
encouraging people to take mindful pauses. And there are a number of different ways that this occurs. It can be anything from, you know, sitting quietly for a few minutes. It can be doing a a short, deep relaxation. Um, It can be going for a walk. But these, these pauses where you take your mind off of something and you put it somewhere else that is more of a relaxed or diffuse focus contributes to creativity. It contributes to increased productivity. So this, for me, Chris, this is an example of where companies are not really utilizing the research that clearly demonstrates that always being on is actually counterproductive. Mm, yeah, yeah. I mean, I've had situations where I've had you know make people take their uh, vacation time, and not because mm-hmm. not because of some compliance issue or legal issue, but because they need to go away and think about things and and turn off for a little bit and you know to be more effective. And I think people also have this uh, notion that they need to always be busy uh, to look like they're working hard. Um, that if well, we, I think this goes back to what you were saying earlier about safety. Yeah. Um, you know, in, in, in too many organizations, the primary motivating uh, mechanism is fear. Um, and everybody who works in um, pretty much any company knows that they're expendable. Um, you know, when I started working, there was a, a, a quaint notion called an employment contract. And that, that employment contract was... You know, if you do a stellar job, if you do your job and, and get the work done, then, you know, you know, barring or for unforeseen disasters, you've got a job. So you didn't sit there thinking to yourself, I've got to make myself more competitive. I've got to have a brand. I've got to be on LinkedIn. I've got to make sure that I'm networking. That You just didn't have to do that. Um, now, there are some things about thinking about your future and thinking about your development and thinking about your career that are really important. I'm not denigrating that. But when it becomes a prime motivating force, then you're always thinking ahead. You're always thinking about, well, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? And that really robs you of the most precious thing that we have as human beings, which is our attention. You know, if if you think about, you know, if you have children, and, and what do they want? They crave attention. If you're married or if you're in a relationship, then we, the, the, the talk in couples therapy is, well, you don't give me enough attention or you don't give me the right kind of attention. And in the workplace, the same thing is true. People, uh, I know this because I work inside of companies as well as being an external consultant. I've worked in you know, companies for years and years, and I watch my colleagues' eyes glazed over, sleep-deprived, um, and their attention split between what's in front of them on the screen, what's going on inside their mind, their bodies that are really um, ailing, and then they have their iPhone sitting in front of them next to their computer, which is beeping and buzzing and hissing, and that also has a little bit of attention or some degree of that. And if you read Dan Goldman's book, Focus, there's so many examples in that book about the what the negative effects of multitasking. Multitasking, oh, yeah. first of all, it's a misnomer, but really what ends up happening is that you sequentially move your attention from one thing to another, and it takes 12 to 15 minutes to refocus your attention and to give it your best form of attention. So every time our attention shifts, we're losing a little bit of ground in this battle that we perceive as, I've got to do my best work. 
Right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it sounds like a great book that uh, people might want to check out if they've been interested in any of this sort of slightly scientific talk that we've been uh, having here that uh, I find fascinating. And we certainly could probably go even deeper, and we need probably have you back on the show here to, to do part two. But if people are interested in learning more about what you're doing and your company and uh, even possibly having you come in to consult with them, what, what's the best way for them to, to reach out and find out more? Sure. Well, there's the old-fashioned way, which is 707-779-9190. I thought you were going to say a pigeon. We were going to send a note on a pigeon's leg or something when you said old-fashioned. I, I went real That's deep. the old-fashioned way. You can call me. <laughs> you choose to use the, the, the kind of new way of communicating. It would be E. Levinson, L-E-V-I-N-S-O-N, at... 4128associates.com. Well, again, I really enjoyed having you on the show, and uh, we'd love to have you come back at some point. We can uh, pick up where we left off. Do that, Chris. I'm sure we'll both remember. Yes. <laughs> well, be sure to tune in live uh, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time next week, August 11th, to hear uh, Margie Meckham, president of uh, Meckham Learning. I'm probably saying that wrong, as usual. And also Kaylin uh Gabaldon, Senior Talent Acquisition Consultant for MD Insider. Until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2.